Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with UW Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and gardening enthusiast Jerry Urshabek. Presented by UW Extension and originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington. Good morning, this is Jeff Edwards. This is the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. We are here with Jerry Urshabek. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Jeff. Sorry about that dead air time. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. We always have some type of issue in the morning, right? And then uh, on the uh, phone with us this morning is Donna Hoffman. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. Glad to be with you guys. Good to have you back. Donna Hoffman is the horticulturist for Natrona County. She's up in Casper. And um, we will have some messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be back in just a little bit. We'll get back to Jeff and his guests in just a moment. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Podcast, presented by UW Extension, extending the land-grant mission across the state of Wyoming with a wide variety of educational programs and services. Visit us at www.uwyo.edu slash uwe or search UW Extension at the main uwyo.edu page. There, you can look up the location of your county office, browse our many programs, and access tons of UW Extension publications to help not only your gardening pursuits, but also economic information, rangeland management tips, and so much more. Check it out today. Now, back to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with Jeff Edwards. All right, we are back. This is the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Jeff Edwards from the University of Wyoming, Donna Hoffman from the University of Wyoming, and Jerry Urshabek, who is a enthusiastic gardener <laughs> from Torrington, <laughs> from Wyoming. Torrington. Yeah, we are uh, we are happy to be here today and uh, provide you with some information about fall gardening, fall lawn projects. We have a few things that uh, we would like to talk about to bring up, but uh, Donna, let's get to you first. What do you have on your mind for us? Well, yesterday I saw my first um, specimen of pear slugs. Um, the little critters were dried up on the leaves, and when I was looking at the, the damage, like, I know what this is. What is this? Oh, yeah, it's time for pear slugs to show up. So, okay, so this is actually the second generation of pear slugs, Donna. Yeah, yeah. The... We don't have them see much damage early in the year, but when we finally see damage, it's it's somewhat dramatic. So uh, the first generation must do some damage, and then then people start noticing it. Yeah, so around on this side of the state, at least on my cotoneasters and the uh, uh, plum trees, the parislugs show up and uh, will totally defoliate them if I, in July if I'm not... Oh, dear. If I'm not watching them. So first and second generation of those little guys. And and again, we've talked about pear slugs in the past, right, Jerry? That we have. They're they're neither slugs nor flies cuz the adults are a sawfly, so it's a wasp and then the larva it looks like a slug. Yeah. Little green slug. Yeah. And and very damaging kids. Really damaging kids. <laughs> Children. <laughs> Offspring. Offspring. <laughs> Yeah, so um, uh, if yours, what what are you doing to control them at this point, Donna? Well, most of the time when I have seen them, people don't really need to use an insecticide to get rid of them. If you put one of those jet spray sprayers on the end of your garden hose, okay, um, or a nozzle, I guess, um, the, the water jet washes enough of them off of the foliage that uh, it minimizes any further damage, and they don't really have a great way to get back onto the foliage. 
So um, we we just usually recommend washing them off. So their legs are highly reduced. It's hard for them to crawl back onto the plant. Um, so that is a good method of re- population reduction. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> population management. Other things showing up that you're seeing? Well, I had a fun thing over the weekend at home. We found um, two different praying mantis um, climbing on different things and, and moved them from where they were to into the garden. So they're they're hopefully feeding on some um, destructive other insects rather than just wandering around the yard aimlessly. Were they the large Carolinian ones or are they the native Wyoming ones? We we had two green ones, so larger ones, yeah. Okay. I did get to see one when I was in Tennessee crawling on the side of the hotel where I was staying too. So um they're they're just very dramatic and um it's always uh kind of a surprise to see them, but we are beginning to see more of them uh here in, in the Casper area because people have been buying the praying mantis um Yes. Egg cases and releasing them in their yard. Several years ago now, I had purchased one of the egg cases and left it in my car and thought, oh, I'm sure it got too hot for them. They're probably dead. So I stuck the thing in the garage and didn't deal with it for a while. And then I was leaving for a, an extension trip somewhere and happened to go in the garage. Um, I believe it was on Father's Day. And I had hundreds of little tiny praying mantis emerging from that egg case, <laughs> climbing all over the metal box that I had set them on in the garage. So found, I think, a, a dustpan and scooped them all up and took them out and put them on a, a box elder tree that had lots of aphids on it. And they just kept climbing up into the tree. But when I got back from the trip, I never did find any of more of them. So I don't know whether they cannibalized each other or if they took off and, and went to parts unknown or if they were just in the top of that box elder tree and I just couldn't see them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh, so uh, here, here's the entomologist geek coming out okay, a little bit. Okay. Cool. If you uh, have any interest in insects, a praying mantis pet, uh, keeping them for a pet is kind of fun. Um, uh, they're fun to watch capture prey. They're fun to just kind of hang around. They, they uh, uh, will watch you as you move. Um, that they're just. They're just kind of fun and fascinating to watch. I don't know if you've ever done that before, Jerry, but... Uh... Oh, heck yeah. You know, and <laughs> when uh, we have some pots out front in front of our office, and uh, a lot of times you just be setting the hose and watering and kind of looking at the plant, and you go, oh, my God, what? oh, it's a praying mantis. <laughs> so you just kind of, your eyes kind of finally focus and realize that you have a bug in front of you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they're they're fun. They're they a gas. They don't move very fast. Mm, they nope. just kind of uh, hang out because they're trying to blend in, and when something comes by, they'll catch it, and then they'll start eating them. So we've had green and big brown ones. So yeah. can you tell me the difference between the two? So those are the same variety. If they're big, they're the Carolinian mantid that people have brought here, and they're starting to naturalize in our area. So they're native to the Carolinas is okay. why they're the Carolinian mantid. But we have natives here in Goshen County that are much smaller. And um, I don't know, maybe uh, uh, maybe two inches long at the most. And they are cement colored. So, oh, really? Yeah. Oh. They, Those are the Wyomings? Yeah. Huh. Uh, at least the ones that I've seen around this area. Um, but they are significantly smaller than the green or brown ones yeah. that were, were that, that are so uh, dramatic and easy to see. My brother got to see a swarm 
in Guernsey. A swarm. And he said there was like hundreds of them. Okay. So I would guess a swarm. So swarm. So they're yeah, but uh, would they not? They should not have been adults yet. They should have just been uh, newly emerged ones. Which, Maybe so. Yeah. Because um, the adults don't really like to hang out with each other since they're predatory. They will uh, end Chew up on eating each other. Each other. Yeah. Yep. The biggest, strongest one will survive. Yeah, I had an egg case, and I unfortunately kept it way too long. And uh, I had one to release <laughs> to the wild. <laughs> that and it was a very big one, wasn't and it? And he was the biggest one of the bunch. <laughs> yeah, those kind of things happen. So if you do purchase the the egg cases, go ahead and put them out. You know, it um, uh, they need a cold period. They need to warm up, uh, and um, uh, you'll be surprised that eventually they'll start showing up in your. You always like to see them though coming out, or or else you know that those first group of hatchlings. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're just fascinating because you know they're hungry and they're trying to see who they can. They're sizing up who they can catch and eat. But a lot of them were just dead and they weren't eaten. They would just go and go. Okay, you're you're gone. <laughs> I'm bigger than you. You're gone. <laughs> yeah, those ones that don't fight back, right? Uh, let's see uh, some things that are showing up in. Uh, my yard and garden, and have been there for a while, um, I am seeing lilac borers. I don't know if uh, any of the rest of you are seeing that, but um, uh, Donna, are you seeing lilac borers up there? I haven't had any of them come into the office yet. I'm sure that they are out there, but okay. uh, they haven't they haven't raised anybody's uh, concern, and, and they haven't brought them in yet. The, um, the key thing that I watch for is uh, dead and dying portions in my lilacs. Uh, so uh, I brought show and tell in for Jerry today and and um, uh, I had probably 20 stems that I went through and I clipped out. And my control tactic for these is to uh, cut on the stem of the lilac far enough down where you don't see the borer tube inside the the plant anymore because what happens is when uh, fall comes they bur- burrow as far as they can into the stem of that plant uh, to try to overwinter and then they'll come out in the spring and lay eggs again and then the cycle continues and it's amazing that that part of the stem is well alive and the other part of the stem at a y or a y juncture that other half is just completely dead Right, yeah, they just get in and they clean out the um, they'll clean out the the tissue that's supporting of the stem, and then they'll get into that cambium layer, and then that's why you are seeing dead twigs and dead leaves in the canopy of your uh, lilac rose or head. Fortunately, our big old lilac hasn't hasn't succumbed to that. Um, you know, they—they. It's just one of those things. They're opportunistic. They find where they want to be, and then they'll hang out there. And so, if my my hope is that by continually pruning out the dead, I'm that is my control measure, so that I don't have the issue next year or or a worse issue. And by time. all means, throwing that stuff away or else burning it. Correct. Uh, yeah, burning it and um, getting rid of it because they could potentially crawl out of those twigs after you've cut them and overwinter in the soil. Uh, it's just a bunch of different things yeah. where they could end up being. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I had on my list this morning is uh, I brought in a bag of um, uh, a couple of leaves that have uh, white stuff on them. 
and uh, it is uh, powdery or downy mildew on the leaves that are showing up right now. So if you, as we have cooler evenings and it's and the humidity is going up and we have those foggy mornings, those types of things, powdery mildew is out there and it'll start showing up on lilacs and uh, this happens to be on bee balm. But uh, other broadleaf uh, plants like that, it'll start to show up. If you, there are no controls for powdery or downy mildew, but there are preventative types of things that you can apply. And uh, one of the things that is available pretty readily is a copper sulfate product. Donna, do you have other suggestions for controlling powdery or downy mildew? Well, the the biggest thing I recommend, again, is a cultural thing. Of try to keep the, the moisture off of the foliage, uh, especially plants that are in shady areas. We tend to start getting lilac leaves this time of the year or just a few weeks later where they're on a, a shady part of the, the yard or the shade hits the lower portion of the, the lilacs. Um, I have seen it on quite a few different plants, some roses even um, oh, a few sure. days ago. Yeah. Um, where uh, people have watered in and, and the evening instead of in the morning, and moisture has stayed on the plants. Earlier this year, we had quite a few evening or nighttime rainstorms, and of course you can't prevent moisture getting on the foliage in that situation. But, but keeping the foliage dry is another way to, to prevent it or, or minimize the effects of it. So drip um, irrigation, full sun, those types of things. Water in the morning. Yep. Our roses, yeah. we, we try to... If we're going to sprinkle, we sprinkle the crap out of them in the morning. Yeah. So it has a, a chance to dry off before that night, nighttime uh, events take place. Sure. Yep. Okay. Um, Jerry brought in a uh, goldenrod, a plant, a plant. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's a it's a weed. It's quite a specimen. Yeah. <laughs> so we had several uh, several um, guesses upon upon what it was and uh one thought it was was marijuana and i'm like oh no 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 <laughs> and uh because it has a nice yellow bloom to it and uh one thought it was i forget what he said but it uh it's actually goldenrod uh grows up to be about five or six feet tall if you um, let it if you let it uh about this time is uh, is about where it's starting to bloom and uh People will start sneezing. They'll they'll start having an allergic reaction to its dander or pollen. its pollen. And uh, yeah, we generally cut it off. But I I asked my wife if we couldn't just let it bloom for a little bit and let it go. But probably since we're starting to do some fall cleanup, it'll be getting cut off here pretty quick or rototilled in or rototilled. <laughs> they have a pretty good root system so i think just cut off and we we'll let them come for next year it uh it looks like it may have thrips or mites on it yeah more than likely uh, so that is a harbor for those pests that could get into your garden and other places just so you know so there are weeds around that are harbor for bad bugs that we you don't bet. want in our garden so in 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 essence you know you need to clean up your yard and garden and then to, and take care of some of those things. We always put it in the compost pile, but some of those things won't compost. And so goldenrod's one of those. You just want to throw those away. Or run it through a chipper shredder. Chipper shredder. Or in, into your burn pile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, fortunately, we have a little bur, uh, burn pile, and we have one started. It's just waiting for it to dry up. And 
wait for weather conditions to be just right. Yep. So and we don't. When the burn ban's a, gone, don't cause a hazard. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We don't need any more burning up of the county or any oh more of the state. Oh my gosh, Wheeling has had what thirty-seven thousand acres. Yeah, it's. Uh, we we don't want any of that stuff. Uh, we did have a uh, call-in question. Do you know if it's true that the roots of lilac bushes get into your pipes and clog them? I think it's possible for any plant to uh, get into your pipes and clog them. So. Um, it's just one of those things that uh, uh, plants have the ability to grow through almost any substance, including rock. Uh, so I think they can get into pipes and especially if the, especially if it's that old orange berg uh, style of pipe. Uh, it's a it's a tile, it's a tile clay tile sort of thing that. It's, it's more permeable, and it leaches out some moisture, and that's what those roots are trying to go for. So, you know, you, it's pros and cons. You have a nice lilac tree, or you have a clogged sewer. <laughs> so, there are products, I think, you can A clogged sewer and a very healthy lilac. <laughs> <laughs> there are products you can use, and uh, plumbers have a rotary tool that will cut those uh, roots out. Uh, you just have to continually keep up with them. Yeah, yeah. So An- another use for copper sulfate. Uh, only if you're licensed to apply it that direction. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. So it, yeah, it gets sold at our feed store. So. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Huh? All right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so uh, let's ask you, Jerry. What do you got going on in your garden? Well, uh, I just w- made a list of what is still blooming. Uh, we have some nice mums coming on. Uh, the cosmos are still way in bloom. So if you want a flower that blooms or a midsummer to late fall, cosmos is a really good one. The fall clematis, mm-hmm. we have a white uh, fall clematis. It just smells so beautiful. It's like a jasmine smell. Okay. Um, of course, our canna lilies are nice and red, and they continue to bloom all over. And uh, I planted some gladiolias in intermixed with my cannas because you got to dig them anyway sure so i've got some red and yellow and whites and and uh myrna has found begonias and geraniums to be the go-to plant because very little effort (laughs) to grow them if you spend a lot if you spend a lot of effort on them you're going to kill them (laughs) (laughs) and they can stand the heat our our west deck area just is just beaten sun and so you know, you need a flower that will stand up to that, and the geraniums and the begonias, the red giant begonias, they are just wonderful plants. We we have a red geranium, and Diane's probably going to not appreciate me for sharing this, but she tried everything, tried her best to kill it last year, <laughs> and uh, uh, it was in a potted plant, and um, or, or it was potted. And uh, after it acted like it was done for the season, she just set the pot up underneath a protected area so it received no water whatsoever. And I believe it was last September, October, it shot out a green leaf. So I think we put it in the high tunnel over winter and ignored it. And then this spring we transplanted it to a place next to our deck where it gets water and neglected by us and it looks great. Nice, beautiful red blossoms on it. <laughs> <laughs> so three things if you're if you're a beginning gardener. Iris, begonias, geraniums. 
gee whiz, you'll you'll say, boy, you really got a green thumb. You go, yeah, yeah. I do, don't I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those things that you can set and forget. And I'm sure, Donna, you have a list of those types of things, too. <laughs> There's quite a few. I, I bought several petunias this year, and... I, Forever, I you know they're supposed to be so easy, and and you just put them in the ground and water them periodically, and they just fill in pots or, or garden areas. And I was forever killing them, and I was half afraid to prune them back. And asked at the nursery, and they said, "Oh, you got to chop them back every so often, and they'll look kind of scraggly when you do it, but then they fill back in." And I'm like, okay. So anyway, uh, so running them over with your lawnmower might be a good idea, right? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, but we were coming home the other night, and my husband said, "Man, the petunias smell great." So that's what's right by our front door. That that's kind of uh, a new thing for us. So they've recovered. It's nice to have some of those plants that, if we ignore them, they do really nice. Yeah, yeah. And I planted uh, uh, gladiolus this year. I had an ant gladius, so I kind of plant them kind of in memory of her but they were supposed to be dark purple and they are hot pink so <laughs> the labeling wasn't quite right what a nice surprise huh yeah yeah <laughs> you'll you'll get to try again next year Donna. right yeah <laughs> we bought some cantaloupe plants uh labeled let me put this right we bought some labeled cantaloupe plants and they all turned out to be cucumbers. <laughs> so, so what a, what a right surprise. Family. Yeah. What, a, what a pleasant surprise. <laughs> not what I wanted, but not even what we wanted. So let's make pickles. Um, let's see. It's time for us to take a break and listen to some uh, uh, messages from our sponsors. And we'll be back in just a little bit. Did you know there are a number of online educational opportunities available at the UW Extension website? And... Those offerings will continue to grow over the next year. We offer an animal science course for 4-H students, as well as training on community development topics. Just go to uwyo.edu and search for UW Extension. You can access the Extension online course catalog from the main page. While you're there, check out our Facebook feed or watch our extensive collection of From the Ground Up videos to get great gardening tips. Let's get back to the podcast. Okay, we are back. This is the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program, uh, otherwise known as the Horticultural Hour of Wonder. We haven't used that in a while. I thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> you wonder what we're going to talk we, about next. We wonder what we're going to talk about next, yes. Um, uh, it is fall, and Jerry, off the air, you were asking me some questions about uh, a couple of insects, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've heard I've heard this. We haven't really heard these insects here lately. I don't know why, but maybe we just haven't been listening hard enough. The locusts, or the cicadia, or the katydids. So what's the correct? Yeah. So people call them locusts, right? Locusts are grasshoppers. Locusts are not the things that are making the noise in the trees. Locust is a grasshopper. Locust is a grasshopper. Okay. Um, cicadas are the things that make the noise in the trees. And katydids are also grasshoppers that make noise, but it's more like a cricket. Okay. <laughs> and then there's things that are out there called tree crickets <laughs> that, that make noise as well, and you'll hear them in the evenings, and uh, but not like the black crickets that we see. 
All right. So we did have our cool down. I mean, if you wanted to talk about the old wives' tale about right. six weeks till frost or, or a significant cool down. Which I think it was closer to eight weeks before we started to have a cool down. But we did have a significant yeah. cool down there for a little bit. Yeah. And then it shot back up to 90, so you kind of got... Okay, so there there was our cool down. <laughs> well, and you know, it could be anything from a slight cool down to a significant frost event, right? Well, yeah, and you know, uh, it was 37 degrees in Laramie this morning. Yeah, but 37 is not freezing. It's so not freezing. It, we we used to watch the weather in Pinedale, and I haven't done that. In when usually when it frosts in Pinedale, it's 10 days for us. Really, because it's frosted already in Yellowstone. Yeah. I look at that northern corner of the of our world, and gosh, it's always so cold. And then it comes up to like 75, 78 degrees. Beautiful fall days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Donna, have you, uh, has your temperature been getting cooler? We, we did have one Sunday where after I got back from the national meetings that we, um, we got up to 100. Like, no, it followed me home. <laughs> but... Um, it's kind of been slowly coming down into the 90s and the 80s, and we've had a few days in the 70s, but our nights are starting to get into the upper 40s. Upper 40s, I don't think yeah. we've been in the lower 40s yet. We're uh, we're hanging out in the 50s, I think, the yeah, I lower think so. 50s for our nighttime temperatures. So, uh, But it's coming. Uh, we know yeah. that it is. Um, one of my indicators is seeing Orion early in the morning when I get up, uh, mm-hmm. the, the constellation Orion. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, he's there. <laughs> so fall is coming <laughs> and what we see is our honey locust trees are turning yellow and dropping right in in vast numbers and off the air i was telling jeff that we don't have any pods this year and several people in town have told me the same thing Bern and i were looking up at the tree the other day and we go where's our pods <laughs> We don't have to rake up any ponds this year. So, Jeff, what do you think would happen there? Could be a lot of different things. Um, the timing of them when they were flowering, we could have had a frost or something like that that took them all out. Uh, this is the first year that I have pods on my honey locusts where I'm at. Oh, no kidding. So, um, it's just one of those... You've got that spiky locust tree, don't you? I do. It's That's not a honey locust. That is a... Donna, you got a... It's a black locust. Oh, remember, remember I was calling them hawthorns, and you corrected me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of those they are do wicked. have thorns, but it's not a hawthorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. They are nasty thorns. Uh, but black mm. locusts, they have the pods on them this year too. So okay, uh, mm. could be just uh, just a variability in the weather pattern that changed all that. Yeah. I I got a call yesterday from somebody who has a hot wings, tartarian maple, and it's known for its bright red or hot pink colored samaras. Uh, I, 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 I love those trees. They're they're pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They have a little bit of fall color to them most of the summer because the seeds turn that, that fall color. But this guy has just a young tree, and he'd been noticing other trees around town have the beautiful hot wings on them. And his didn't, and and it's hmm. probably a, a case of this tree is a little bit too young. Sure. Um, still recuperating from some transplant shock and has not gotten to the reproductive stage yet. I said, but if it did bloom in the spring, it probably got hit by frost. Yeah, and and um, ours, we, we have one in our landscaping, and uh, 
it, the, the wings themselves have actually started to lose their red color and they're going yeah. into brown and now the leaves will start to change and uh, yeah. uh, should expect to see some nice color in that tree. It is a hot wings uh, tartarian maple. Jerry, mm -hmm. Jerry's taking notes and maybe somebody else okay. is too. Oh, yeah. I noticed <laughs> wings, that. Uh, tartarian maple. maple. Yep. Yeah. I noticed that the Ohio buckeye in the yard around the extension office in Casper has started to turn orange and it's usually one of the first and one of the brightest colored trees so it probably won't be long before it's completely defoliated after it's had its showy week or so and the Kentucky coffee tree has started to drop its leaves so oh sure yeah. they're yellowing and, and falling off Kentucky yeah. coffee trees are interesting because every spring people say this tree's dead it is, yeah, it is yeah. the latest one to put leaves on and then the earliest one to drop them. So yeah. it, it's they're just interesting trees. <laughs> and they're interesting in master gardener training because they're one of the only doubly finitely compound leaves that we have. So Okay, now you have to speak English. Gets... You have to okay. you have to explain so, what you just said. So, um for instance, an elm leaf or a um, hackberry leaf is a pinnately veined leaf, that traditional leaf shape that we all learned how to draw in first grade. Um, that shape, pinnate, comes from feather-like, so the veins in it are like the the portions of the feather, and I don't know what you call so, so oh, you, you really have things on a feather. You have the main vein, and then you have individual veins coming out from the main Side vein. veins that come from the main vein. Um, so that's pinnate shape. And then we have compound leaves like um, the cotoneaster, and it has little tiny leaflets that are attached to the main vein. And all those little leaflets and, and the midrib make up one leaf. So you have the leaflets making up leaves. So and on a go ahead. A, uh, an example of a compound leaf is a honey locust. So those, a honey locust, yes. Those little uh -huh. tiny leaves are leaflets. Yes. On the yes. main leaf. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the midrib is attached to each of the leaflets that make up the leaf. Well, on a Kentucky coffee tree, there's another set of veins that come off the midrib, and the leaflets are attached to those additional stronger veins that come off the midrib. So the leaflets aren't attached to the midrib, they're attached to additional veins. So it's, so it's needless a to compound... Say, yeah. Arrangement of those leaflets. Needless to say, they have unique leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, I have a couple of specimens of the, the Kentucky coffee tree, but I always wish that there was one still alive um, when I start doing the botany lesson with new master gardener trainees. But sure. it's not till October, and, and usually I'm out of luck. So, you need to keep those dried specimens around. Right, yeah. We never, we didn't draw the leaves. We pressed the leaves in yeah. first grade. So, oh, you know that was that was kind of cool as well. But you know, very important to learn how to draw a leaf so you can kind of tell others how how it works and how it's affected. And I think if I remember correctly, we we pressed the leaf between two pieces of uh, paper and then colored over the top of them to get that vein pattern and the leaf mm -hmm. pattern. So you didn't. We didn't really draw it, but it was. It drew itself, kind of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the more you know, <clears throat> the more you know. 
it's great. It's great that we can remember back to first grade, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so some things. Yeah. Some things. So hey, this is a, a good time of the year now, also to to think about you know repairing your lawn. If you're going to be doing any seed uh, seeding into your lawn, really a great time now to to uh, rough up the ground, throw some seed in, keep it a little moist. Also, if you have, I have a, a, a hole where there used to be a tree, and so we have a dog watering bowl that's fairly large, and so maybe let's say it's 12 inches around, and so I'll set that on the hole area and put my shovel down and make that hole on the outside of my dog dish and then go to a section of grass that I have happened to be growing in an area where I don't want it to be growing. So I'll use that area then to make my transplant grass plug, little plug. You're making a big and, plug. And then it makes a, a, a just a very unique plug that's the same size, the same size as your hole. And hopefully the same grass type. It's the same grass. And so, well, and, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter. But sure. a lot of times it does matter because you don't want some yicky-looking buffalo grass or something in uh, Kentucky grass. But, yeah, you're right. You want that same kind of grass. And you can just make your plug the same size. Uh, you can do that with any size of container yes. that you have. And so... Uh, it could be square. It could be round. You it bet. Could be whatever. Yep. Uh, now I I'm, I'm going to say something. There are people who like buffalo grass. Yeah. Sure they do. Uh, <laughs> my apologies. We got to be politically correct. We don't want to offend anybody that likes buffalo grass. <laughs> yeah. Look at my new lawn. It's buffalo grass. Yay. We actually have a demonstration area of <laughs> buffalo grass at the extension office. However, it's been getting watered with the Tall, tur the turf type tall fescue, and okay. uh, the turf type tall fescue is now more successful than the buffalo grass demonstration wow. area. So um, I'm actually waiting for the buffalo grass to go completely dormant, so I can go over the top of it with, with Roundup or mm -hmm. glyphosate, yes, and uh, kill off the uh, unwanted brighter green grass. The stuff that's invading. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, Donna, uh, for let's just go there for buffalo grass. When does it usually green up in the spring? Well, not till May, late May. Late May. Sometimes into June. And then when does it go into full dormancy? Well, it should be here before too long. Now that we're getting into the 40s, I might wait until we have a our first frost. Okay. Um, before I go out and try to knock out the, t the fescue. So uh, if you wanted a late season lawn, buffalo grass would be a good one. And then uh, if you wanted late season landscaping, plant coffee trees, Kentucky coffee trees. You bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm a fan of that tough turf. That That is good grass. Uh-huh. Uh, drought resistant, heat resistant, 
it's it's almost like the the begonias and the geraniums we're talking about. You can really yeah. try to kill it, and it it stays there. Yeah, just ignore it. And Greens up really well, stays green late in the fall. If it doesn't get watered, it goes dormant. Yeah. So those types of things. Yeah. It just depends on what type of a gardener you want to be, or a, <laughs> a, a landscaper, right? Or when when you're going to be there to care for things. Um, we have right. a few snowbirds around that that want to be able to walk away from things and know that it's going to be okay. We do recommend winter watering, but uh, it seems to be tough enough to to come through okay. Yeah. So if you want that short season landscape, if you go elsewhere in the winter time and come back late. Buffalo grass and Kentucky coffee trees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, had a, I, I, I've got another bug question for you. We okay. had a, a, pumpkin, a pumpkin grower yes. that was complaining about having some yellow, some bright lemon yellow bugs with black spots seemingly affecting the squash blossom, the pumpkin blossom, and the vine. Yep. So I think we're talking about another borer. Well, so there could be two things. The little lemon green thing, lemon yellow green thing with spots. It said bright. Yeah. Um, I believe that that is a southwestern corn rootworm, otherwise known as a spotted cucumber beetle. Uh, and so they in squash blossoms, all squash, they will get in there. They're looking for pollen. They will eat the flowers and they show up in mass, like lots of them at one time. Uh, they can feed on the squash itself, and they'll cause little scars that people aren't really interested in. And they can attack the leaves of the squash plant or the vines. Now, there are borers out there that will get inside the squash vines. These little guys won't. Okay. Uh, so, to, to kind of try to kill them off? Um, I think uh, a carbaryl product would take care of them, um, uh, but again, you need to be careful about uh, the pre-harvest interval and, and those types of things. So that's either a dust or a spray, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. Got to read the label. Got to read the label. Yep. Got to wear protective clothing. Yes. And in the past, um, when we've had them, I've just tried to ignore them and uh, seemed to work out for me. <laughs> 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 they so haven't reduce... been in large enough numbers to be something <laughs> so, to deal with yet. That's that's right, Donna. So Donna, like you said, either reduce their numbers by spraying them off, or <laughs> Jeff, uh, ignoring them, or you know, attacking them chemically. Be be aggressive and take care of them. Yeah, <laughs> there there really aren't any predators that you can buy for them. Uh, mantids, praying mantis would probably eat them, but uh, uh, maybe that's why I have the two praying mantis around. It could be, Donna. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are uh, some predators that might get them, but not very many. So if you have them in large numbers, you may want to aggressively take care of them. Yeah. As opposed to me and ignore them. Yeah. So, hey, we're talking about pumpkins. So uh, save the date, October nice, 6th. Nice segue. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on those. <laughs> Giant pumpkin contest. It's in conjunction with Yahoo Days. Uh, I think around 10 o'clock or so. Um, hey, if you are a pumpkin grower, you know, remove all those blossoms, terminate your vines, uh, watch those overnight lows. You might put a blanket on top of your pumpkin. Um, keep, keep good care of your pumpkin. Keep good care. So, so Jerry, we are four weeks away from that event. Yes. 
it's just around the corner. Yeah, so um, if you are really trying to get the largest pumpkin there, what should you be doing right now? Continue fertilizing on, on that regular basis. If you haven't been fertilizing on a regular basis and you throw a whole bunch of fertilizer and you're, you're in danger of cracking your pumpkin and, you know, if you have a big enough crack, you're disqualified. So uh, if you have been fertilizing, continue to fertilizer at, fertilize at the rate you're doing. If you think, oh, my God, here's, the, here's my last chance, well, just start fertilizing lightly and give that, that plant a chance to grow. Uh, we're starting to see a slowdown of the pounds per day that you're supposed to be putting on because of the colder overnight lows. And so uh, you know, that's why you might want to put a little blanket on your pumpkin. Um, you know, continue, continue to remove those blossoms that are stealing some of the nutrients from your big guy uh, or girl where whatever you want to call it <laughs> i don't know we can sex uh probably pumpkin right then yeah but, but anyway probably not. um yeah probably not and so you know watch for insects take care of your insect problems uh, and you know just continue that watering plan that you you have been going on you know, you can't stop watering right now. You still have to be diligent about, you know, trying to produce that pumpkin. You uh, you touched on something, but I think we might be out of time. I, I want to, I wanted, you said cracking. When, okay, when sure. When your pumpkin cracks, can you f repair it if you need to? A lot of times you can put mud on it. Okay. Uh, uh, or you can use caulk. Okay. Go to the... Going to the uh, uh, hardware store or the lumberyard and buying some caulk. And sometimes you can actually repair that crack and it will fuse together. The The thing is, if you can stick your hand all the way into your wrist, you're disqualified. Ah, okay. So, but if you can just put your, your hands into where your fingers attach to the palm of your hand and, it, and it's still solid in there, then you probably are okay. Okay. It'll scar over. Go go ahead, Donna. What is Yahoo Days? Oh, uh, it's a uh, it's a fall event here in Goshen County. Like a one fall day, or or they have crafters Just and the Yahoos go to it. <laughs> you know, not necessarily. And being politically correct, you don't have to be a Yahoo to go to Yahoo Days. It's, it's all oh, Yahoo. Okay. But it's oh, better okay. if you are a Yahoo. <laughs> And, you know, okay. you kind of go, hey, I found this. Yahoo! <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but that was the name that they come up with this fall program. And yes. uh, vendors come in from all over the county and uh, elsewhere. And uh, we decided to uh, be in conjunction with that event uh, so we maybe get more people viewing our giant pumpkins. And hopefully it's going to work out really well for us. Should be a good time. I again, we're, we're, we've used up all of our time. I hate to cut it short. Donna, thank you for being our guest today. Jerry, Certainly. as always, thank you for being here. Thank you, Jeff. Um, and uh, we will be chatting with you again next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with UW Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek, presented by UW Extension. We'll see you next time.